I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd talk a little bit today about the missile launches by the North Koreans. They've apparently launched a, a another version of what they've been building. It looks like they've been building bigger and better for a while. Jim, what's going on there in the north? Well, what they've done is they've uh, gotten their hands on improved uh, solid fuel rocket technology. Now, we've discussed this before. It's a difficult technology to master. The Iranians have mastered it which opens interesting implications. The uh, the Pakistanis have it. I mean, if you work on it long enough, eventually you'll get it. Uh, many countries, most countries doing that, begin with uh, smaller rockets and work their way up to the kind that can propel a ballistic missile. Now, what the uh, North Koreans had done, and we knew this last year, uh, they have developed a sea-launched ballistic missile, uh being launched from a uh, a converted you know Russian submarine, uh, we've also reported that they have in the 90s <laughs> the South Koreans bought a bunch of old Russian uh, diesel electric uh, ballistic missile submarines, the Gulfs, uh, for scrap, and the Russians swore up and down, no, no, they're just going to well, no way. At that point, I don't think anybody thought the North Koreans were going to try and. Uh, you know, create a, uh, you know, a, an SSG, you know, an SSB, I'm sorry, a, a, a submarine launching, uh, like, launch ballistic missiles. Um, but they're now building one. They mod, the one they're using for testing, they modified an existing one. Uh, and of course the new one looks suspiciously like <laughs> the scrap. Anyway, they, they apparently, we all, we reported, oh God, years ago, that uh, there was other leakage out of the Soviet Union, uh, including a lot of components for the first Russian uh, solid fuel, uh, no, no, that's solid fuel, uh, storable liquid fuel, uh, sea-launched ballistic missile. Uh, and at that time, you know, nobody was exactly sure what North Koreans would do with that. But, you know, wisely, so to speak, they never throw anything away. And they apparently, uh, like the Iranians have done, they basically make the most of, of what they've got. And so what they've got in, in the last few years is they've developed this relatively short range. It's, it's, the, it's, it's that old R-27, I think it was, uh, uh, Russian uh, in the 70s, actually, uh, ballistic missile. But instead of a, a storable liquid fuel um, uh, rocket motor, it's got a solid fuel rocket motor. Now, that was noticed. That was kind of hard to hide. You know, <laughs> an expert or even a semi-expert can tell the difference between a uh, a, a liquid uh, fuel rocket motor and a solid fuel rocket motor. Uh, actually, I could do that because I, I worked on both the one. I was in the Army year, 50 years ago. Um, and I remember seeing the uh, the films they were showing us of the various missiles. And uh, when I saw my first solid fuel you know, rocket, ballistic missile going off. Boy, that's that's different. And indeed, they are quite different, and they're they're hard to uh, mistake. Uh, and people sat up and noticed, but they also realized that they had pro- that they probably lost a lot of the range. 
Now, what you gain by reliable solid fuel rocket motors is there's hardly any preparation time, which is always a problem. That's why the Russians sent their first ballistic missiles uh, to sea with a storable liquid fuel. Now, that requires some preparation, but not nearly not the hours that it takes to fuel uh, a missile like the Scud. Um, and uh, the Russians mastered a technology that nobody else in the West really needed. <laughs> uh, this storable, uh, there were a few accidents, but that that was some, that was an acceptable risk to the Russians. Uh, but generally, they 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 were they were tested and what have you. Uh, and and the Russians didn't really get to uh, solid fuel ballistic missiles until the 80s. Um, Anyway, the uh, North Koreans now have that technology, and that, that questions may be raised as to exactly where did they get it, that they developed it themselves. Uh, it may be a while before the, the facts, as it were, come out. Speculation, of course, is available anytime. Um, but the, the, the fact is they have it. And what they did recently, when they, they, they launched what they called the Polaris, that's what well, they used the Korean word, but it translated as Polaris, the Polaris 2 missile. And it's, they showed video. Uh, this is just uh, you know a few, day, a few days ago, um, and um, it, it, it had a, a, a transporter erector launcher, uh, but this one was uh, on a uh, track vehicle, which in the article that we uh, that I, I we wrote a first draft of uh, pointed out is essential for uh, North Korea because they have so few paved roads. And a, uh, a, a, you know, if you want this thing to be uh, stealthy, as it were, in other words, moving it around on, in unpredictable places, you can't do it on the paved roads because they only have about a thousand kilometers, <laughs> you know, of paved roads. Um, the rest of the roads are either dirt or, or just dirt tracks, uh, uh, you know, dirt or gravel, as it were. But the, the non-paved roads are a mess in the, um, uh, in the, the spring or the fall, whenever it rains a lot, they have monsoon over in Korea. Uh, uh, and uh, when it rains, it rains. Uh, in fact, they just had floods in the fall that uh, were particularly devastating. And um, the uh, so it made sense that the, all the previous tales had uh, had been based on trucks, on wheeled vehicles. This one was based on a tracked vehicle. And uh, it showed the video clearly showed the uh, the launcher uh, the missile was in a canister just as it would be in effect in a in a missile silo uh, or a, a silo in a submarine uh, and indeed we actually saw this because as we detail in the article uh, the test launches of the Polaris One which is the sea launch version. Uh, the early tests were done from a, a land base, as it were, which is typical for testing, you know, uh, uh, SLBMs, sea launch ballistic missiles. Um, and uh, it, it popped out of a, a canister. Uh, and uh, that, by the way, revealed another technology, which is not not really difficult, not as difficult as solid fuel, but there are a few countries that have mastered it. Now North Korea is one. It's called the cold launch technique. And that's where you, you basically, do, it's an engineering you know, problem more than any new scientific breakthroughs. But basically, you have to uh, uh, have a gas generator in a sealed tube where the, uh, <clears throat> where the missile is, and you pump in enough gas so when you, uh, when you basically release the missile, it, it 
launches the missile to a certain uh, altitude, you know, maybe a, a meter or a few feet, you know, from the from the canister, and then the missile ignites. Uh, and when that works, it's fine because otherwise you you take you risk blowing up the uh, the silo or the canister, as the case may be. So it's really a se- it's essential for sea launch ballistic missiles. Um, and uh, and of course it was also used in in the United States used it for a while in uh, silo based missiles uh, to uh, something to do with the security. Anyway, the um, uh, uh, so we knew that they had a uh, a shorter range, about a thousand kilometers, uh, ballistic missile that could be launched from a submarine. And then the most recent, I think it was test number eleven. Uh, there was video that actually showed it, you know, uh, coming out of the the, uh, the submarine was just below the surface, um, and you saw the missile being cold launched and popping out of the water and then igniting, just like any American or Russian, you know, or anybody else's, you know, ballistic missile test, and then taking off. Um, so they've applied this to the land missiles, and that means that they can turn this into one of the more potent weapons they've developed because. You can't take it out. The South Koreans have been quite public, as it were, about their uh, their their additional plans for taking out the uh, existing, uh, you know, Russian, uh, North Korean, uh, Russian designed uh, uh, land based ballistic missiles. Mostly these are old Russian Scuds, well, improved Scuds, but still Scuds. These are liquid fuel missiles. Now, a lot of them are in caves and concealed. Uh, locations, but the South Koreans uh, imply, and and uh, apparently they, there's some truth to this, that they have found most of the hiding places, and they have now have enough smart bombs, and uh, you know they they just bought a bunch of uh, uh, stealthy cruise missiles from uh, Germany. They just ordered more for their their F-15, uh, their version of the F-15E, um, and. Uh, and uh, they're making all sorts of plans to go on the offensive, as it were, the minute there's any indication that uh, North Korea might attack. Now, what changes this with this new uh, Polaris II ballistic missile is that these things can be uh, are harder to keep track of. Depends on how many of them they build. Um, uh, uh, North Korea has a huge shortage of of, uh, of manufacturing capability, but they're basically devoting almost all of it. Uh, to military purposes, so they don't need much. Ironically, that's a lesson we learned during the Korean War when the U.S. Air Force thought they were going to cut off uh, the Chinese supply lines across the Yellow River, and then finally, when they realized, when the people at the front line, uh, my uncle was one of those at the last minute, <laughs> they was, you know, the Chinese still have plenty of ammunition. I mean, what's going on here? Uh, we capture prisoners, and they don't seem there's, like they're starving. And it, and it turned out somebody did the math and realized the capacity that was coming over the the, the uh, train capacity and, and and what have you coming over the Yellow River uh, was sufficient for military purposes if you starve the civilian population. And somebody remembered what happened during uh, the uh, you know the World War II in the Eastern Front, where the Russians did basically that. You had a lot of civilians starving, and pictures came out you know after even before the Cold War was over of, of that going on. Uh, because, you know, the, the troops came first, and no matter how much you interdict uh, those supplies, it's extremely difficult to uh, cut off the, you know, the essential food and munitions and whatnot for the troops. So the uh, 
uh, with this new uh, Polaris II on a, on a on a track tail, it can go just about anywhere. You know, thousands of kilometers of unpaved roads, as well as many cross-country areas where, you know, uh, sure, you know, air reconnaissance, uh, satellite reconnaissance would eventually pick up the track marks. Although, <laughs> again, the Chinese and the Russians and, and, and the North Koreans, it wouldn't be, be beyond them to have a bunch of uh, conscripted civilians. You can do that in North Korea. Um, uh go along behind these things as they're going out, you know, just moving to a new position, you know, covering up the track marks. Uh, so you don't underestimate the enemy. And this becomes even more important now because now they have a, a, a counter, as it were, to all the preparations to, uh, to neutralize uh, their, uh, their missile attack force. Now, that said, what is also left out of this, what is left out of this conversation is that even the North Koreans openly speak, especially the higher ranking ones that are increasingly, you know, fleeing the country. There's been several of them recently, including some diplomats. Uh, and some of them abandoned family members because the family members are typically, uh, kept hostage, as it were, uh, in North Korea. Um, and if, uh, if, if daddy, it's usually daddy, flees, uh, the, you know, the remaining family members that he might get a message, you know, you can come back if you want to save your wife and kids. And if he doesn't, you know, you're never heard from again. Um, even that doesn't work anymore. That goes to show you how bitter it is. But anyway, these people report that the military is in sad shape. Now, that is no secret because another problem North Korea has is that not just the internet, but the, the mandatory trade they have with China, China is their only, really their only trading partner they have left. And the Chinese insist on getting paid. You know, the Chinese, that's the trouble you have when you do business with the Chinese. They, they want to get paid. They don't mess around. And, uh, and they allow, and they insist on free passage for their commercial people. Now they have been Right. They're, they're good capitalists. When it, when it comes right? to their own purposes, yes. Uh, but anyway, a lot of Chinese go in there and these Chinese go back into China and they gossip. And of course, cell phones, even though they're tightly controlled and you can, you can be executed. There's been a few of those recently or sent to the labor camp if you're caught with a Chinese cell phone because you get within a couple of kilometers of the border. You can pick up a, uh, a, uh, one kilometer, I think it is, whatever. They have, you can pick up a Chinese cell tower. Now, the North Koreans have started tr- installing jammers on the, on the, on the uh, cell phone jammers, uh, on, on the, along the border on places where mo- people are most frequently doing it. But at the point is, you can't stop the information from getting across and, or getting out as the case may be. And what's getting out? His family's complaining about their sons in the army. They're complaining they have no food. Uh, there's no heat. Uh, and, and that's unusual because the, the military always got first priority on food and, uh, and fuel and what have you. And they're not getting it now. Indeed, there are even reports that some of the, the security forces, I'm talking about secret police and, and general police, <laughs> are not being as well treated. Uh, and that's a sure sign that a dictator, a, a dictatorship is in trouble because if, if you can't guard the security people who keep everybody else in check, you know, the end is near. Now, 
people laugh, haha. People have been predicting the end of the uh, North Korean government for years. Well, we don't predict it. We don't make those kinds of predictions, but we do, <laughs> you know, month by month, report what's coming out of North Korea. Uh, and of course, the, you can see you can see the trend line going here. So can the South Koreans, and so can the North Koreans, and that's why they are insisting, even with ch- over Chinese objections with proceeding with their nuclear and ballistic missile program, and it's showing results. It's not showing a lot of results, but they realize that if they produce some workable weapons, even if only a percentage of them work, and that was the old Russian philosophy, um, and they already have chemical warheads, uh, but if they get nuclear warheads, now a chemical warhead, for the North Koreans' purposes, can do as much damage, almost as much damage as a nuclear warhead. But nuke... Is, is more scary. That's why they want the nuke. And their nukes are trash, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, state-of-the-art design goes, but they don't care. Now, the minute they fire a missile, and this this will violate all sorts of international agreements, with a live nuclear warhead into the North Pacific, and it goes off. And, uh, and of course, everybody will complain. We always complain. Uh, they will have made their point. They will at that point have a working uh, warhead on a nuke on a ballistic missile, and at that point the game changes a little bit. Now, what they want to do is frighten enough people, frighten their neighbors sufficiently in the United States to send them more goodies to keep them in power. They don't understand that you know that doesn't really make any sense. You have an, you have option B or option A depending on who you are, and that's to basically attack first. Uh, so anyway, that's why they call, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un, the current, you know, uh, uh, leader, and, and, and recently he has become the eldest surviving son of his father, uh, uh, that he is not really, you know, thinking this through. But then the Kims never thought this through, and, uh, you know, what's happening is what happens. Well, uh, hey, look, let's, let, me, let me talk about the missile a little bit. Uh, that that test shot that we're talking about occurred on February 12th. Uh, there's some other things about this um, system that uh, Polaris 2 Pukduk Song is the uh, Korean word for uh, Polaris. There's some interesting things about the missile. What Jim de- described and we've, I've looked at the uh, that North Korean propaganda video as well. It's a cold launch out of the uh, transporter erector launcher, the tell as they're, as they're called. Um, Jim Jim described why this is a uh, a, a different kind of uh, transporter electri- uh, uh, erector uh, launcher as well. But uh, it it pops out just in the same way a, a submarine launched ballistic missile or, uh, or a cold launched. Uh, the land-based uh, ballistic missile uh, is uh, does from its uh, from its launcher, and then really that's when the main booster uh, kicks in. And uh, <clears throat> mobility is a problem. Jim went into the uh, went into that increased range. The fact that it's also solid solid fuel. Jim went into that. Now, where this missile came from. Uh, a number of analysts, and I started seeing this in the in the <laughs> on the two days later on the 14th uh, Valentine's Day, uh, 
uh, Dan, uh, saying, you know, th this looks just like a land-based version of the submarine-launched uh, ballistic missile the North Koreans tested in August of uh, 2016. And there were some uh, other uh, analysts that, that pointed out it's eerily similar to a Chinese uh, submarine-launched uh, ballistic missile. Uh, the JL-1 is the Chinese version. That's that's also it's got it's got two chain, uh, stages and roughly a 2,500 maybe slightly uh, longer range kilometer range. Um, then today I, I see uh, an article crops up and says, you know, this looks suspiciously like uh, the uh, Chinese uh, DF-21, which is a longer range version of that submarine launch, Chinese submarine launched ballistic missile. But as Jim will tell you a little thing about the DF-21, that's the one that's also touted as a quote-unquote carrier killer. There's a lot of issues with the colonists saying that it could actually strike an American uh, um, CVN uh, uh, at range. But mobile, solid fuel, hideable, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a real threat. Where did where did the North Koreans really get this te technology? Jim's analysis is one uh, line of analysis. I happen to agree with it. I think they could do it themselves, focusing on uh, focusing all their resources on on, on building uh, this type uh, type of a uh, uh, of a missile system. But they also have sources in China, Pakistan, uh, Iran, and as Jim pointed out early on in, in his. Uh, uh, in his uh, uh, analysis of this uh, of this missile launch, I, Iran has missiles like this, and uh, that's rogue to rogue. Is is, is uh, Iran and North, and North Korea working to uh, produce a, a better, uh, more threatening uh, missile system? One that complicates uh, defensive measures. One that certainly complicates. Uh, an anticipatory offensive strike by Japan, South Korea, United States to knock out uh, North Korean uh, uh, nuclear and, and, as Jim pointed out, chemical missile uh, uh, capabilities. Um, that's this is this complicates the situation, the an already complicated uh, situation. It shows it uh, in in East Asia. It shows you how. Uh, a certain piece of technology has uh, real immediate uh, uh, defense and hence political uh, ramifications. South Korea, Jim touched on this, South Korea, Japan are moving rapidly to improve their missile defenses. But it's hard to defend against a mobile, it makes harder to defend using anti-missile missiles against a mobile a mobile system. Uh, best, the real best way to deal with North Korea is, is if you can't stop, use di diplomacy and economics, and we failed at that now for uh, since really 1994, 95, uh, well over 20 years, to use diplomatic and economic means to stop their nuclear weapons quest and their ballistic missile program. Uh, when you move into the military sphere with it, uh, is is knock it out before they use it. 
And, of course, that's an act of war, Dan. Uh, it's something that uh, South Korea has not wanted to risk, nor Japan, nor the United States. Uh, we sit there, and, and there's the thinking, and Jim commented on this. I, I've written about this extensively, the long-term decay. Well, it's past decay. It's, it's, it's utterly uh, rotten. The uh, Nor North Korean uh, regime, the, the lives of their long-suffering, starving or semi-starving uh, 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 po uh, populace, uh, but the regime itself is still uh, uh, robust enough to uh, defend itself. Kim Jong-un is... Uh, uh, I think that was Jim alluded to it, uh, had his uh, half-brother killed recently in, in Malaysia, assassinated. Uh, they, uh, it's a tough and brutal uh, regime that is dedicated to defending itself and, and maintaining uh, control in Pyongyang. And the missile programs, coupled with uh, weapons of mass destruction, are part of their both ex extortion racket self-protection and self-protection racket. They can't compete with South Korea economically or, or, or politically. I mean, they've, they've lost that. The only option they have is, is military threat and, you know, hi, we'll destroy Seoul. Yes, the, one of the standard comebacks on this is, oh, gee, the North Koreans can really damage Seoul without using, uh, IRBMs and uh, using uh, nuclear weapons. Yes, that's true because Seoul is right up uh, within within rocket artillery range, long range artillery range uh, of uh, the uh, DMZ, the North, North Korean forces on the north side of the uh, DMZ. So there are suburbs of Seoul that uh, are within really 15 kilometers of the border, if not if not closer. There's a subway station. I forget the name of the of the little uh, South South Korean town. It's really not not so little, but it connects to Seoul subway station, and you can get off of there and if uh, t at least take a taxi to the to uh, the uh, South Korean military checkpoint just uh, south of the uh, uh, DMZ. Um, that's how close it is. Uh, a, you could launch a lurching military, uh, a conventional military attack and, and seize, uh, uh, destroy, uh, if, if not uh, seize, uh, parts of Seoul. That's something the North Koreans may not be able to do anymore, but... Uh, 20, 25 years ago, it was with, uh, you know, it was within, it was, it was possible. They had, uh, had the forces to do it. Now the South Korea is, is even stronger. So there's a, a, a conventional standoff. Yeah, it's arguably been one, arguably been one since 1953, but this, now South Korea is bearing most of a, of a, a burden on the ground. Uh, so we're back to the missiles, and this missile, as Jim pointed out, this uh, Polaris II, no, it's not something that threatens the uh, uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, continent, uh, continental U.S. But they're working on that as well, and we've written about that. And 
Washington, D.C. and Austin, Texas, were, and as well as uh, Los Angeles, there were a couple of other places, too, that were on the target tracks that, of that map that the North Koreans' uh, propaganda arm uh, released in, what was it, uh, 2013, I think. Uh, they uh, that's that's what they've got uh, as and that, that they're making political statements with that 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 takes a uh, a, a shot of about mm, seven thousand miles I think to, roughly to, to, from North Korean launch sites to hit the Washington D.C. area and they're working on it now uh, will they get there I think the 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 the, the takeaway from the February 12th, Polaris 2 launching is that uh, they're getting there. That's not good news, Dan. So, Jim, what do you think the the end game is going to end up being here for both the U.S. and Japan and South Korea as they as this threat continues to grow? Well, it's basically a uh, you know like a game of poker. You know who's bluffing. Uh, the threat from the West, especially South Korea, has always been would they attack first? Now, North Koreans have been crying about this for decades, for half a century, that the South is planning, or the Americans are, and the Southern and the South Korean puppets are planning to attack. And of course, now they they, they haven't they haven't said it yet, but they're basically uh, believing that maybe the Chinese would join in as well. And there appear to have been discussions between South Korea and China. Uh, these are kept fairly quiet for obvious reasons about exactly who would do what, because the uh, popular opinion in South Korea is to reunite the country. And the the official thing in China is we do not want a, a Western style democracy on our border, especially a Korean one. Um, uh, I don't know how, how far they've gotten, but apparently the Chinese have the last word because they are, they has, they have been for a thousand years the elder brother, as it were. They, they can, they can bring more fire and destruction down on South Korea than, and, and the other way around. Uh, and, uh, but the South Koreans may be, you know, forced politically, uh, to at least, you know, make it go. And that, at stopping the Chinese, but that, that would be for show because, you know, it wouldn't happen and they couldn't drag us. We're not going to fight a nuclear war over reuniting, you know, North Korea, reuniting Korea as a smoking ruin. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the problem that the, uh, is predicting this is, you know, how scared is either side going to get? Uh, now North Korea really can't get scared per se. Uh, Kim Jong-un, the Kim dynasty, as it were, has shown that it's, it's got no problem starving its own people. They lost over a million in the 1990s. And apparently starvation, uh, uh, is increasing again, but it's not reached epidemic levels yet, but it could go that way. Uh, because there's simply not enough food coming in. And, uh, you know, the people are starving. Uh, now, that said, one legacy of communism was a more efficient police state. Now, it works up to a point, uh, but the, the North Koreans get, uh, you know, reluctant, you know, nod for having taken it farther than anyone else has, uh, you know, in terms of longevity. I mean, Paul Pot showed you can kill more of your population and still, and they were overthrown by the Vietnamese invasion. Um, but 
the uh, and of course Castro, you know, he did it without mass starvation. Uh, he's still standing, but for how long is debatable. Uh, but the, the North Koreans have, you know, basically, uh, gotten away with murder, literally. And they're demanding that their, their nervous neighbors, you know, subsidize that effort, uh, to, so it can, can continue. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really, uh, predicting this is like predicting who's gonna make the mistake, a mistake first. Who's gonna do what nobody wants to do? Uh, you know, starting a nuclear war, miscalculating what China's gonna do. I mean, most wars start with a miscalculation, uh, by one side or the other or both. Uh, and, uh, and that's what people want to avoid, uh, in Korea. Because South Koreans, at least the older, general, younger generation tends to have forgotten already, uh, because they've done such a great job of, of reconstructing the place. Uh, but the older generation, they're still alive and they're still saying, you do not want Another war uh, in this country, and there are pictures, and there are there are, there are photo, there are uh, uh, you know, motion pictures, you know, uh, uh, taken during the war and right after the war. Uh, so you know, if the government wanted to, if the media, mass media over there wanted to, they could quickly remind the younger generation uh, that don't get too you know cocky or you know trigger happy because uh, the you know the Making a mistake is something that, you know, you will pay for personally at great expense with your life, most likely. So there's where we stand on the edge of a precipice. And that's why it makes good news, because anything that scares people is good news for, you know, for headlines and what have you. And Korea continues to provide that. And uh, we can all thank, you know, communism for that. You know, the gift that doesn't ever stop giving Austin, how likely do you think it is, is that the United States or Japan is going to shoot down one of the test launches? Right. That is a that's a very good question, Dan. It's been a question that's I'd say has been it's it's been out there. Oh, I would say for the last. Uh, 15 years, perhaps. It's gotten a lot more serious in the last three to four years. One of the indicators uh, was when uh, Japan, and I want to say 2014-2015, rolled out uh, some uh, patriots. Then when a, when a missile uh, test was uh, anticipated. But then uh, last year, I think it was January 2016, uh, the Japanese uh, Defense Ministry um, uh, said that uh, they were prepared to shoot down the test missile if it strayed into Japanese uh, waters, Japanese territory. Now, there's some fudge in that as to what constitutes Japanese waters. I mean, uh, the 12-mile zone or the, or the exclusive economic zone. Who knows? Actually, on, on the, this specific test, uh, the uh, test, uh, you know, inert warhead landed in Japan's EEZ. But they also rolled a, a Patriot launcher with Pac-3 missiles out in the middle of Tokyo, and it was a, it was a display. 
Uh, South Korea, let me put add South Korea. You asked about Japan and the U.S. Uh, South Korea is in the process of acquiring, uh, and if, I, who knows, uh, it, 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 maybe it has. I think it's still in the process of acquiring uh, the uh, at least one variety of Navy standard missile that has anti-ballistic missile uh, uh, capability. Um they're in the process of acquiring uh, the, the uh, THAAD, the THAAD battery. Uh, now I think it's called Terminal High Altitude Area Defense. It used to be Theater High Altitude Air Defense, but <clears throat> it's THAAD still got the same uh, same acronym, which they say they're going to site down near the port of Busan or Busan uh, goes by both. Uh, that so that they're they're investing in, in anti-ballistic missile defense. Now, you asked, though, about Japan and the U.S., and that's where it comes in our Aegis-capable, uh, Aegis destroyers that Japan has that has that has uh, anti-ballistic missile interceptors aboard, and then the we, U.S. Navy has cruisers and uh, destroyers. Uh, you know, the Aegis system is a... Sensor target acquisition radar, you know, with a was it Spy One radar? I think is what the was the first uh, big <laughs> radar in the quote unquote Aegis system. But it's now used as a way to uh, to uh, uh, describe or includes in there if it's Aegis uh, warship. And the implication is is that it can handle uh, anti ballistic uh, anti ballistic missiles. So. The scenario that you have asked about is one where U.S. and Japanese ships are so deployed. Uh, the missile track missile is fired in North Korea. The track puts it into heaven forbid if it actually hit Japanese territory, but approaching likely to hit Japanese waters. Let's get what the definition is and. Uh, Either a U.S. or Japanese uh, warship uh, fires at the uh, at the uh, warhead. Now, are they going to fire one missile? Are they going to fire a salvo? Makes more sense to fire a, fire a uh, fire a, a salvo. Uh, there are some things at risk here too. If it doesn't hit, uh, you know, you think about the uh, you know, media media blowback uh, 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 of that. Even though these Interceptors, they've, they've got a good, uh, a good test record. You, what you get out of it is a, a, a um, anti-ballistic missile defense test, real world or close to real world, why uh, on the part of the U.S. and uh, and Japan. How does North Korea react? Well, there's really very little they could do other than throw a tantrum. Well, that might. Uh, Attempt to assassinate someone. That's within the realm of the possible. They might send commandos to blow something up. They sank uh, a South Korean uh, Corvette in was it March of 2010. That's a huge act of war. And they also shelled uh, South Korean islands. They've been refraining from that because they are. I think they're they've been, been told by the South Koreans we're not going to put up with it anymore. It's going to be tit for tat. And, uh, so okay, that's uh, lower state of war. 
How likely? Well, I've given you the scenario. I think it's increasingly likely that this is going to happen, that there will be a, 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 an interception of one of these of one of these tests. And I think the most likely uh, uh, Japanese and U.S. systems employed will be the uh, uh, Aegis, uh, Aegis warships with uh, the standard missile-type interceptor, standard six. But there's, uh, uh, I think standard three is also has uh, anti-missile uh, 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 capabilities. You might, you might see South Korea in it as well if it's if the track is uh, uh, the the ballistic missile track is interceptable by I would say that is when they would have the, their their Thad uh, battery field. It, and, I, and this is just speculation, but I look I I I, I, I spent what was it for four years my reserve mobilization designee slot was in the, the Ballistic Missile Defense Organization, which was missile defense during the uh, Clinton administration. And uh, I, I was exposed to a, a, a lot of the uh, planning and organizational uh, work that uh, missile defense does how, and, and integrated fires. Uh, also trying to get a good track, as I said. In other words, where that uh, the, the missile is going and the warhead is going, so to, so you can uh, uh, intercept it and use the, the best positioned uh, interceptor. So, uh, again, moving forward from 20 years ago to, uh, uh, to now, uh, the systems have improved, the missiles have improved. We've been testing them as well. Uh, there's the upside is it's it's a real world test of uh, anti ballistic missile systems. The downside is it's a real world test <laughs> of anti ballistic missile systems. I'm not doing that to hedge my uh, uh, hedge my answer. It's because uh, it's you've got uh, com several complex issues there. But remember, North Korea is in violation of all these international sanctions, UN Security Council resolutions, and the open belligerent uh, uh, threats, constant threats. And what you see in Japan and South Korea, and I think here in the United States as well, is we're fed up with it. The Japanese are fed up with it, and so are the South Koreans. And that's, that's, the, that's the impetus. So... I'm not going to give you a figure on likelihood. I'll just tell you it is more likely. Yeah, it probably becomes more likely every day and every time they uh, launch another you, one. You said it. That's, that is a, a fair uh, assessment of what I just said. Right. Well, we'll leave it there. We'll continue to watch our NORC friends over the, the coming months, and we will talk to you gentlemen next All right, bye, time. Bye, guys. Bye.